Let's come to the Lord in prayer before we open his word. Let's pray for his help. Our Father, we thank you for the words of that song. And we do say that we come into your presence by your grace only. We don't come, Lord God, by any merit of our own, any of our good works or standing or anything like that. We thank you. It's all through the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And Lord, in his name, we pray for your blessing now to come upon this service. Lord, to pour out heavenly power upon me as I preach the word. And Lord, upon each of our hearts, Lord, to speak to us, Lord, to make the word effective to our hearts. And to help us to take it in, Lord, and respond to it. We pray for your blessing now. We seek the Lord. Come, please, do us good and bless us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Jeremiah in chapter 16. Jeremiah in chapter 16. And we're reading verses 19 to 21. prophet Jeremiah says, O Lord, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come to you from the ends of the earth and say, surely our fathers have inherited lies, worthlessness and unprofitable things. Will a man make gods for himself which are not gods? Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know. I will cause them to know my hand and my might. And they shall know that my name is the Lord. Please keep the word open there. A lady in London back in the 1800s was uh, by the name of Ruth Belleville had a very interesting career and job. She was the time lady. And she inherited a business from her father uh, through her mother who had once started a business uh, where every morning at the crack of dawn in 1836, he rode his carriage to Greenwich Observatory and he set his watch by the Greenwich uh, Observatory standard of time. And then he went to over 200 clients in London to set their clocks and watches right for the day ahead every day. And uh, in those days, of course, when clocks and watches did slow down, they didn't have digital ones like we do that keep better time. Uh, that was a good business. And she inherited that. And uh, she went on all the way through to the beginning of the war when it became too difficult uh, to do it with the bomb raids and everything. Uh, and she kept going around London, changing everybody's clocks, making sure they understood what time it was. Well, do you know what? Spiritually, that's something good for us to think about as well. We should be thinking about what time it is in God's uh, economy. And uh, one of the things the Bible says in the book of Thessalonians, Paul said this to the church at Thessalonica, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. 
And he points out there that there are such things as times and seasons in God's plans, in God's economy. And what I want to do tonight is to talk about one of those times and seasons. It's called the times of the Gentiles. Now you say, John, what is the times of the Gentiles? Well, the Lord Jesus used that phrase in Luke chapter 21 and verse 24. And he said that Jerusalem would be trampled underfoot until the times of the Gentiles was fulfilled. And uh, a lot of people got very excited in 1967 when Jerusalem came back into the hands of the Jewish people and said, is this a sign that the times of the Gentiles is coming to an end and I think it is uh, a very significant thing but I still haven't told you yet what is the times of the Gentiles well the times of the Gentiles is uh, is two things at once it is basically when God whose face is always turned towards Israel for a window of time turns his face towards the Gentiles before turning his face back towards Israel. That, in short, is what the times of the Gentiles is. God, whose face is turned towards Israel normally, will turn his face towards the Gentiles for a period of time before turning it back towards Israel. And that affects two things. That affects their own leadership and rulership, and it affects the effectiveness of the gospel. In terms of their own leadership and rulership, the book of Hosea and the book of Daniel teach us that during the times of the Gentiles, Israel won't have their own king. They will be under the leadership or rulership of Gentile authority. And uh, in the days of Daniel, of course, we had Nebuchadnezzar. And then from then on, after Babylon conquered Jerusalem all the way through until 1948, when Israel went back into the land, Israel was under Gentile rule, under the rule of the Romans, under the rule of the Muslims, the land of Israel. But in 1948, they went back into the land, and in 1967, the city of Jerusalem became theirs again. Now, it's not the end of the times of the Gentiles just yet. We know that from Revelation 11, where it says that the temple, which is to be rebuilt, will be trampled by the Gentiles uh, in the last days. But it's a sign, very strong sign, that we're moving towards the end of that time. Because today Israel is now under her own leadership. Under her own leadership. Now she's going to go back on that one day in the future with the Antichrist who's going to come. But she is at the moment under her own leadership but that's the political side the spiritual side is when God turns his face towards the Gentiles in terms of salvation and for the majority uh, of, of the people being saved they are the Gentiles rather than the Jews and that's actually why I had us read those two readings earlier on from the book of Jonah and the book of Matthew, because they illustrate this. If you think about the story of Jonah, uh, Jonah is the great illustration of, of, of the times of the Gentiles. If you want Jonah and Nahum, okay, two books, both about Nineveh, God's judgments on Nineveh. And uh, in the book of Jonah, the Ninevites repent. Now, God has uh, said he's going to judge Israel 
because they've gone into idolatry, but he's turned his face towards the Ninevites for a season. Then in the book of Nahum, the Ninevites go back into idolatry, and God says he's turning his face back towards Israel. And uh, Nahum is the book of Nineveh's judgment. That's a picture of the times of the Gentiles. And uh, we see as well in the gospel when the Jews were rejecting the Lord Jesus was amazed at the faith of the centurion and said I've not seen faith in all Israel like this and this man who was a Gentile was a great believer Uh, we have many other illustrations the Lord Jesus himself used the illustration of Elijah and Elisha in the book of uh, Luke chapter 4 and he pointed out how in the days of Elijah when Israel rejected the gospel and rejected the message in the days of King Ahab when they started worshipping Baal uh, Elijah went to the widow of Zarephath and at Zarephath he ministered with great success before coming back to Israel. That's a picture of the gospel going to the Gentiles for a season before God turns his face to come back to the Jews. And we see the same uh, in the life of Elisha too. And there's other illustrations. If you want one thinking of Moses, Moses when he was rejected by Israel, who are you to, to lead over us? Uh, who, you, who made you a judge between us? He had to flee Egypt and he went to Midian where he was among the Midianites for a season before he came back in power to rescue and rule over Israel. That's what our Lord Jesus Christ is doing. He was rejected by the Jews, but he's coming back uh, after being to the Gentiles spiritually uh, in the future. So the times of the Gentiles is when God turns his face towards the Gentile people. And Jeremiah in this prophecy in chapter 16 is speaking about this very event. In the verses before it, he had spoken about the exodus of the Jews coming back to the land uh, in the last days and how God will regather Israel back. But then, as he speaks about Israel's sin, he says about the Gentiles being saved. And he makes this tremendous announcement that the Gentiles shall come to God. And this is a, a prophecy which, when you think about the day in which it was given, it is a remarkable prophecy. Because Jeremiah wasn't living in uh, a day which we're in today, where most people in the church are Gentiles, not Jews. He was living in the land of Israel, in the city of Jerusalem, and all the people who were the believers in Yahweh were in that little area. But he said, God is going to have a Gentile salvation, and many are going to turn to him. And since we spend a lot of time talking about Israel in this church, and rightly so because the Bible is a Jewish book, I thought tonight we'd talk about the Gentiles. And we'll talk about the times of the Gentiles and see what Jeremiah prophesied here. And I want us to see three things simply in this passage tonight. The God of the Gentiles in verse 19, the gathering of the Gentiles, and the grace to the Gentiles in the last verse. First of all, Oh, no, that wasn't meant to do that. Oh, no. (coughs) Yep. Okay. My whole PowerPoint is not on there. (laughs) Oh. Okay. That's all right. I can manage with that. I've got the introduction. We'll keep going. That's okay. So, you've got the headings there. First of all, the the God of the Gentiles in verse... 19 
Have a look at verse 19. It says, O Lord, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in the day of affliction. So the verse begins uh, here by talking about the God of the Gentiles. And Jeremiah says in prayer, O Lord. And the name Lord is the name Yahweh. It's the, the Hebrew name for the God of the Bible. And Yahweh, the God of the Jews, is the God who is the God also of the Gentiles. And this is the point uh, of joining these things together. Uh, It's a very important thing to understand. In the book of Romans, Paul says, uh, it points this out, and he says, is not the God of the Jews the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, he is. And it's an obvious fact. But it's not always obvious. And we need to remember that it's the other way around as well. Our God is the God of the Jews. Jesus said in John chapter 4, is not salvation of the Jews? And it is. And we worship a Jewish God and we follow the God of the Hebrews. And we need to remember that our saviour is a Jewish saviour. The Lord Jesus Christ is, of, is the, called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You don't get more Jewish than that. The first page of your New Testament isn't about Gentile things. It's about Jewish things. The family tree of Abraham and David. And the God of the Gentiles is the Jewish God, Yahweh, and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the Holy Spirit, the three in one God. And the point that this is making is that uh, as Jeremiah prays to the Lord, he is reminding God that he is the God of the Jews, but is the God of the Gentiles too. And we need to take that on board. And what I find encouraging about this is this, that what Jeremiah goes on to talk about is the fact that God is his strength and his fortress and his refuge. And those things that Jeremiah has in his relationship with the God of the Jews are the same things you and I can know in our relationship with him today. And so as I preach the gospel and call people who come to Union Chapel to come and put their trust in the Lord, this, this Hebrew God, I'm not doing so in a way that is uh, saying, don't worry, you're going you're to be part of something weird and wonderful. You're going to be part of something that brings great blessing in your life. Because Jeremiah said the Lord was his strength, his fortress, his refuge in the day of affliction. Think about those things. He says, oh Lord, my strength. God is his strength. Psalm 71 verse 16, David said, I'll go in the strength of the Lord. And God gives his people strength. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, says Isaiah chapter 40. And uh, I was going to show you a picture here of a mosquito tonight. Uh, Now, mosquito, I know you all know what a mosquito looks like. But you know a mosquito, a spindly little creature, horrible little creature in some ways. But it's it's a picture of immense strength. You know, a mosquito on one foot while standing on water can hold 23 times its own weight. You couldn't hold 23 people up, could you? even standing on dry land. But a mosquito can hold 23 times its weight on one foot while standing on water. That is strength. And the God who made the mosquito strong can make you and me strong. He gives us grace now 
and glory later. Strength for today's trials and the hope of heaven before us. So I don't know what you're facing this week and your, what challenges you're upon, uh, upon you. But know this, that God can give you the strength to face them. We think of the strength needed for the challenges ahead. God can provide it. The hymn writer said, Wait my soul upon the Lord, to his gracious promise flee, laying hold upon his word, as thy day thy strength shall be. But he also said he's my fortress. Uh, or stronghold is another way it is worded uh, in some translations. And a fortress or a stronghold is something that holds something strongly and keeps it safe, isn't it? And you know what? When we come to the Lord, uh, we come to the God of the Gentiles, the God of the Hebrews. Uh, we put our trust in him. We come to one who is a fortress to us for time and eternity. And we're kept safe from the eternal damage that Satan would seek to do us and which even the world and the flesh would seek to do us. We come to a fortress which can protect us. And he says, my refuge in the day of affliction. My refuge. Again, another picture I was going to show you was a picture of the Cane Ridge Revival. I wonder if you've ever heard of the Cane Ridge Revival. It was a remarkable awakening in America. Uh, and lots of people were being converted under the preaching of the gospel. And they'd have these huge open-air meetings where they'd set up a, a wooden pulpit with a, uh, like a stage, really. And you'd have people in the 1800s, they would come, and they would come and seek the Lord, and, and they'd be preaching. And there'd be lots of people on their knees praying to God, praying for others to be saved, and others seeking the Lord for their own salvation. It was a mighty time. But you know what? It was a time which was opposed. And lots of the other farmers in the area and people who were hostile against Christianity, they wanted to break up these revival meetings. Do you know what they did? They rode horses into the crowds. Have you ever seen a police horse? Would you like to come up against a police horse? Pretty frightening thing, isn't it? Well, they would come charging at the crowds on their horses to try and break them up. Um, And when they did so, a mysterious thing happened. All the riders fell off their horses. It was as if an angel just went like that, and knocked them all on the ground. And all those horses were uh, sent astray from the crowd. God was the refuge of his people. He protected them. And he is the refuge for us in the day of affliction. So, Look to the God of the Hebrews to be the God of the Gentiles. Put your trust in the God of the Bible. Do you know around uh, Big Ben in London, the uh, clock at, uh, at the tower at the city of Westminster, uh, on the inside of that room, uh, which the big bell is actually housed on, there is a poem written around the walls, which is supposed to go to the tune of the bells. And it says, all through this hour, Lord, be my guide. And by thy power, no foot shall slide. (laughs) What a great thing. If only we knew that in our nation today as those who put it up there once did. But the God of the Gentiles can be that to us. Second thing I want to see, oh yeah, there's a point in person, (laughs) is the gathering of the Gentiles uh, in verse 19. And the next part of verse 19 says this, the Gentiles shall come to you from the ends of the earth and say, 
Surely our fathers have inherited lies, worthless and unprofitable things. Here Jeremiah is prophesying to the Lord that the Gentiles shall come to him. And in the times of the Gentiles, when the Gentile people turn to the Lord God, the God of Israel, the Gentiles shall come to him from the ends of the earth. This is an amazing prophecy. And bear in mind the day and age in which it was given. And look at the world today. You know, today, vast numbers in the world have come to the Lord. Now, I'm not saying the world is a Christian society, but by and large, Christianity has taken its foothold into most Western countries. And that's a remarkable thing. Africa is being reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. China is having a revival. Islamic Iran is having a revival. We could go on. You know, the Gentiles from all over are coming to the Lord. And this is why uh, in this time, we, in, in the Bible, we start to see this happening in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 2, the first people, Matthew, the Jewish Gospel, records coming to Christ. is not the Jewish shepherds. It's the Gentile wise men, the Magi. And they come from afar. They've, we've seen a star in the east and we've come to worship him. It's a fulfillment of this prophecy. And then at the other end of the Lord Jesus' life, some more wise men come. Not wise men from the east, wise men from the west. They come from the Greeks. And the Greeks come to the feast of Passover and say to Andrew and Philip, we want to see Jesus. They've come a long way to see him. In Acts chapter 8, we read of the Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts chapter 10, we read of Cornelius. And we could go on as the gospel goes from Judea to Samaria to the ends of the world. The Lord Jesus said in John chapter ten sixteen that he had other sheep that were not of this fold that he was going to draw to himself. And that is exactly what is happening. The prophecy of Jeremiah about the range of this, this gathering is coming true even to this day. From the ends of the earth they shall come. But notice also the realisation of this gathering, because it says from the ends of the earth they come and they say, surely our fathers have inherited lies, worthless and unprofitable things. When the people are coming, the Gentiles are coming, they're coming in realisation that the God of the Israelites is the true God. And the Messiah of the Israelites is the saviour of the Jews and the Gentiles. He is, in fact, as John chapter 4 says, the saviour of the world. And they realise that the things they had inherited from their fathers were nothing more than lies. That's a staggering thing to realise, isn't it? That something that's been passed down generation after generation isn't true. But that is exactly what is happening even to this day. Uh, if, uh, if you go to uh, London, there's a, a big church in London uh, which Richard Buse was the minister at. And Richard Buse was uh, brought up in a missionary family in Africa. And he was talking to one of the African leaders and he said this, when Christianity came to us, We were ripe for it. 
Our animistic beliefs in the little spirits of the rocks and rivers gave way simply and easily to belief in one great God. It made sense to us. The sacrifices we used to make to the spirits prepared us for the good news of Jesus and his unique sacrifice for the sins of the world. It had to be true. It's amazing, isn't it? And uh, how they realised that things they were following were not true. There's a man in, in, uh, in London whose name is Bhaskar Rao. And he was brought up in India in a Hindu family. And he has a remarkable testimony. Basically, he was a devout Hindu. And he used to go on pilgrimages. He would go to the temples. And he would uh, make gifts to the different gods of Hinduism. And he was expected to become a holy man. To become a man up who lived up in the mountains. You know, like you see classic in, in pictures of an Hindu holy man in a, in a cloth up in uh, the mountains. Well, that's where he was heading. That's what he was, he was going towards being. And uh, as he was carrying on in his Hindu religion, he began to become more and more unsettled. Because he felt that there wasn't assurance of eternal life. And this really disturbed him uh, when his uncle died. Sorry, his grandfather. He said his grandfather was the most religious person he had ever met on the face of the earth. Yet when the old man was dying, he made it very plain to his grandson that in front of him, he saw angels of death who were taking him to hell. And he was disturbed by that. He thought, my granddad prays for two hours a day to a Hindu god. How can this not be saving him? And he began to realize these things weren't true. And then he thought, well, maybe the Hindu gods aren't getting what they want. And he did a rash thing. He said to the Hindu gods, I would be willing to give you my own blood. If you will stop me having to come back in reincarnation. And if you will give me eternal life. And what he did was to prove it. Was he pricked his own thumb. And made it bleed. And then he smeared his blood across the little Hindu idols that he kept in his house. And he thought if they answer. He said I'll be happy. But if they don't answer. He said I'm going to commit suicide. Well. He was so low and serious about this. He went out into the streets and uh, carried on in his daily routine. And somebody gave him a leaflet. Blood is needed. Now, what's the chances of that, eh? And he looked at this and he said, are you asking for uh, a blood donation, you know, for the blood bank? He said, because I'd be happy to give it to you. Uh, And he said, you know, I'm... Uh, I know I haven't got long to live and, and because he knew in his heart he was going to try and commit suicide and he said uh, I'll be happy to give you all the blood that I can ha- have uh, you to take safely and the man said no it's nothing, nothing to do with that he said uh, come along to the meeting and you'll find out well he went back home he was still planning on committing suicide and he prepared a meal with poison because he was going to kill himself. And he said, I won't eat it, I'll go to the meeting, and then I'll come back. 
When he went to the meeting, he said, I didn't understand much. But he said, I understood this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. He said, now I didn't know who the Lord Jesus Christ was. But I knew he wasn't one of our gods. But he could save. And that's what I wanted. So he said, I prayed with the man afterwards. Uh, Could I be saved? And he said, yes. And and they prayed together. And uh, afterwards, he went back home and threw away that poisonous meal he was going to eat. And he rejected his Hindu gods. Do you see what that is? That's a fulfillment of this very verse here. Surely our fathers have inherited lies. They realized these things were worthless. They were rubbish. They were useless. They weren't doing anything for them. And they turned away from them. By the way, I think that's something we ought to do as well. You know, we may not be idol worshippers in the strict sense. But we've inherited an awful lot of lies from the generations before us. Let me tell you some of the lies. Evolution's a lie. The Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And there is a creator who uh, is the uh, one we are accountable Another lie we've had is that if you're good enough, you'll get to heaven. Good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. That God's got a big set of scales and he'll put all your good deeds in one side and all your bad deeds in the other. And as long as your good deeds outweigh the bad, you'll go to heaven. That's not true. That's a bag of lies. That's not in the Bible at all. Neither is christening. Christening is another lie we've inherited from our fathers. It's not in this book. It's a madman tradition and myth. The only way to be saved is by the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. So Gentiles coming will come with that realisation that they've inherited worthless and unprofitable things. But they come with a rejection of them too. Verse 20, will a man make gods for himself which are not gods? This is a statement of rejection. And uh, really it's a play. Will a man, Adam, Hebrew word is Adam, who's made by God, make a God? <laughs> That's back to front, isn't it? Man's made by God. He's not, he's not one who makes gods. And so they reject the falsehoods. And you know what? This is what we see in the gospel and in the New Testament. When Paul went to the church of Thessalonica, they believed and Paul said in the letter to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 1, nine, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So there's that rejection of that which is false. And that's what the Lord wants us to do as well. It's very important that we renounce false religion. We renounce and reject things that are not true. A lot of people want to carry on in Christianity, sort of like, you know, oh, I'll just do that less. You need to renounce it and turn away from it. Whether it's Freemasonry, whether it's Buddhism and yoga, whatever it is, anything like that, you need to renounce it and reject it and turn wholeheartedly to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Jeremiah prophesied the gathering of the Gentiles would be like. And praise God, it has been so wherever the gospel has had powerful effect. 
And then thirdly, we see here the grace to the Gentiles in the last verse. Because in verse 21, it says, Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know. I will cause them to know my hand and my might. And they shall know that my name is the Lord. And here Jeremiah is speaking as if it was God speaking through him, which it is. And it's the Lord's answer. And the Lord says, therefore behold, the same thing he says in verse 14, therefore behold, starting a a new part of the prophecy. And he said, I will this once cause them to know. God's grace to the Gentiles is to give them a time to be saved, a day of grace, a day of period. And he says, I will this once cause them to know. What God is saying is, this isn't an open-ended thing that's going to go on forever. It's for a time. And in the book of Romans, chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, the Apostle Paul told us this. He said, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until... The fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. Notice that he talks there about the fullness or the full number of the Gentiles coming in. And Israel, God's face is turned away from Israel at the moment until the full number of the Gentiles is coming in. And this is this one time that God is giving for Gentiles like you and me to come to the Lord and be saved. And many will. God's grace will be known to them. He says, I will cause them to know. Matthew Henry said uh, on this verse that if, if, if a Gentile is to believe, then it must be an act of God. Nothing less than the mighty hand of divine grace known experimentally can make us know rightly the name of God as it is revealed to us. And God says, I will cause them to know. His workings by the power of his spirit will bring people to salvation by his hand and might. And they shall know that my name is the Lord. I wonder, do you know him as the Lord? Is he the Lord of your life? Your Lord and Savior? Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross? Lee Strobel, the uh, converted journalist who wrote that book, A Case for Christ, he said, we all make the choice either to run away from God or to run to him. But as one who has tried both responses, let me assure you, it's much easier and better to run to him. And I think that's exactly right. Run to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't turn from him. There's a window of opportunity. The Bible says now is the day of salvation. Now is today at this time that God is giving this window of opportunity. If you put it off tomorrow, you have no guarantee of being saved. Tomorrow you will have a harder heart to repent of your sins with. Tomorrow you will have more sin to repent of. Tomorrow you will have less time to be saved in. So come to the Lord Jesus Christ today. The grace shown to the Gentiles is still being poured out. And God will cause you to know that his name is the Lord. Thank God for the times of the Gentiles. And may he gather in his full number even here.